So Revelation, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus, 2 and 3. The seven churches, the number of completion, the church age is over, the churches in heaven, chapters 4 and 5. The end of chapter 5, there was a scroll. Nobody was worthy to open the scroll that had seven seals on it. And the Lamb, who happened to also be the king of the tribe of Judah, the came and he, though he had been slain, he took the scroll from the Father's hand and he began to open the seals. Chapter 6, the seals began to get open and it gave us an outline of the tribulation period. And in that uh, time, we, we saw the devastation that's going to happen. Well, we only saw six of the seals. Seven, we expected to see the final seal open and then the scroll to be open. But all of a sudden, there's a parenthesis. And it says, rewind, go back. Before some of these things happen, there's first going to be a mark that's going to be put on the forehead of 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. And we're going to see why that's significant today. And, um, and it told us about this host and, and, and the multitudes of people that get saved through their ministry, these powerful uh, evangelists. Well, today we come to chapter 8. And we finally see now the seventh seal open. And it says there in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, And when he, Jesus, the Lamb of God, though he had been slain, the king or the lion of the tribe of Judah, he opened the seventh seal. And there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now some people say, and I am totally in disagreement with this, but they say there might have to be two raptures. One for the men and one for the women. Because it's hard to imagine women in heaven if there's silence for a half an hour. And I, so I told you. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. I totally disagree with that. But I you know, just want you to be aware of certain things that people, other people, not me, but other people say. <laughs> oh. So the seventh sill is open. And there's silence. Now imagine, if you would, if I were to stop here in the message for 10 minutes, complete silence, it would seem like eternity, wouldn't it? It would just be awkward. We're all looking around at each other and time goes by and by. Well, imagine in heaven. Remember the seraphim and the seraphim, there's flying out singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, night and day without ceasing. All of eternity has known the praises of God continually in heaven without stop. And for the first time in all of history, there's complete silence. And it goes on as if it were an eternity, but it's a half an hour goes by. Why? In Zephaniah, Chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. In Zechariah, it says this in chapter 2, verse 13, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Before him, there's complete awe at the anticipation now that the seventh seal is undone, that the scroll would be open. We know ahead of time that's an incredible judgment 
devastation that's getting ready to come upon this earth. And just for the first time in all of history, the awe, the, the incredible understanding of the whole picture now of what's getting ready to happen. And all of heaven just has to contemplate this of what is getting ready to come upon planet earth. And in chapter 8, verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. To them they were given the seven trumpets. So in specific, there are seven angels. Some estimate it's the top seven angels, the archangels, if you would, the number one angels. In Luke chapter 1, verse 19, when Gabriel came to talk to Zachariah, he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So one of these guys, no doubt, is Gabriel, maybe Michael. And to give into each of these top seven angels, he gives each of them a trumpet. And after they're given a trumpet, it says in verse 3, and another angel. Now in the Greek, you have two words for another. One is another of the same kind, and one is another, a different type. So if, you, if I gave you a cup of coffee, and you took a sip, and you're like, whoa, this is too strong, I would say, would you like another, another of a different type? cup of tea or a Coke or something, or if you down that cup of coffee and you're looking like, man, you know, I'd like another one, I'd say, do you want another? It would be a different word of the same kind. And this is a, another of the same kind. So it's another angel of God, another top angel, a leading angel, and he has a golden censer, and he came and stood at the altar. Now, if you remember back in the book of Exodus, God said, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle, and here's exactly how you're to build it. Here's how you build the altar and the, the candlestick and all the various utensils. Do not deviate at all. We learn later why. The whole thing is a replica on the earth of that which in reality is in heaven. And so we know exactly the censer he's talking about. We know exactly the altar the picture of that altar, that square altar with the horns coming up and, and made out of brass. And, and so this angel comes with his golden censer and he came and he stood at the altar and he was given much incense. He should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So in this censer was not put incense as it is upon this earth, but what is put in Heaven is the actual prayers of the saints. That is the incense. That is what gives off a beautiful aroma in heaven. It's the prayers of the saints. And in verse 4, so as he put the prayers in with the coals from the altar, a smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the, ark, from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, filled it up with all these hot coals, and then he took it and he threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So this radical scene takes place where all of a sudden there's this pile of prayers that have never been answered. And God says, it's time. You see, a lot of our prayers, God doesn't say no to. We think he says no to it. But in essence, he says, just pile them over there. That's the wait pile. We're waiting 
for the perfect timing to answer that. I believe those are all the prayers of us crying out to God for justice. Crying out to God to make things right. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Thy kingdom, what? Come. Thy will be, what? Done. On earth as it is in heaven. And it's if God now says all of those prayers throughout the millennia of time have been stacked up, fill up the censer, because now it's time for judgment to come. Remember the Bible says, vengeance is what? (laughs) Mine, the Lord says, I will repay. So now what are we to do? We're not to repay evil for evil. We have somebody who's cruel to us. We love them. We bless them. We pray for them. We do good to them. We make sure that we are not overcome by evil, but we make sure we overcome evil with good. And we know that if they don't repent, there will be a time that God brings his judgment upon mankind. And now this is the time. And so, in essence, it's rather interesting That man has not come to the altar of God that he might be cleansed with that holy fire like Isaiah did. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and the sheriffim were singing holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah said, oh, I'm an unclean man. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people and and, I shouldn't be here. And quickly one of these sheriffim fly over and take one of the coals from the altar And brings it to him and touches his lips. And he says, now you are cleansed of your iniquity. That fire of God at the altar, that it's there for us to come and say, Lord, burn out the trash. Burn out the sin. Lord, cleanse me with that healing fire. Man on earth would not come to that cleansing fire. So that fire now from the altar comes to him. But when the fire comes to him, it doesn't come in cleansing. It comes in judgment. So everybody's going to come to the altar one way or the other. (laughs) Either you come to the altar and get cleansed or the altar comes to you in judgment. It's interesting. Jesus tells in a parable, he says, fall upon the rock and be broken. Unless that rock eventually fall upon you and crush you to powder. The same thing goes with the altar and the fire in that altar And then in verse 7, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. They were thrown to the earth, and the third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And we'll find later the green grass not permanently burned up, but it was, for a time, it was gone. And so with this comes the first trumpet blast, and all of a sudden, you've got chunks of hell and fire coming and it's, it's like blood falling upon you as it comes to the earth. And then in this fire, a third of the trees and the grass is burned up and destroyed. This is going to be a specially difficult time for Greenpeace. <laughs> Hugging some tree, you know. Anyway, um, just a little side note. And... Uh, And so we see this incredible destruction upon the earth. A third of the earth, a third of the trees is destroyed. And then the second trumpet. And it says there, when that second angel sounded, and something like a great 
mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and the third of the sea became blood. And the third of the living creatures in the sea died, and the third of the ships were destroyed. So at this time, they're not going to be so worried about saving the wells as they are saving themselves anyway. But uh, here we see another, like a great mountain coming out of the heavens. Now, I need to stop here and and clarify. Because when we look at some of these things, you know, people look at verse 7 or verse 8. Oh, there, okay, that's that's the fallout from a nuclear explosion. And they give all the details of, you know, the, the... bombs they've blown up and the Bikini Islands and how the water went up so high and the, it turned to ice and it came back and fell down, all this. And, and I think it does sound similar. And it very well may be something like that. God can work supernaturally in the natural as well as in the supernatural alone. But I, I just don't feel comfortable taking that step because later on in Revelation it says, don't add one word to it or take one word from it lest the judgments of this book come upon you. And so... It could be a nuclear fallout in verse 7. And then verse 8 is uh, basically this asteroid coming and, and hitting the planet. It very well could be. Or it could just be a completely special rock that God made or a special hunk of dirt that God made for this very appointed time. We do know in Jeremiah 51 that the mountain, the great mountain, is symbolized a nation. So sometimes a mountain is symbolizing of a kingdom or a dominion. And it's as if the dominion of God has come to this earth as it hits the sea. Now, usually when it talks about the sea, it's referring to the Mediterranean Sea throughout the scriptures, which is the one next to Israel. However, I do find it interesting that the Atlantic Ocean makes up one third of the earth's ocean. And at any point in time, night or day, one-third of the ships sailing on the oceans of our planet are indeed in the Atlantic Ocean. So if it did hit there, whatever it was, this great mountain, this asteroid, it would devastate a third of the world's oceans by taking out the um, Atlantic Ocean. And it wouldn't take much. You know, we have the comets come by and, and so forth, and just the, the trash and the tells of those comets that come by, there's asteroids there that if they hit it, it would completely devastate our planet. You know, they have the one outside of Winslow, Arizona. And you go there and it's just huge. And, and some scientists speculate it was that hit of that asteroid that caused our Earth to go to the 23 and 3rd axis. Uh, can't know that for sure. There's some other huge ones that have landed in the ocean and and they're interesting to study but to give you an idea if an asteroid of uh, four kilometers that's less than three miles hit our planet that it would lead to deaths of billions perhaps even half the earth's population up in the ante on that if you had one that was 10 kilometers it would completely devastate the earth it would be 50 it would be a, a explosion 15 billion times greater than that of Hiroshima and the nuclear bomb. According to Bob Hawkins of the Canadian Research, he said that there would be shock waves through the crust of the entire earth, tidal waves from every ocean, firestorms, 
and large portions of the continent, destruction of the ozone layer, atmosphere alterations for thousands of years. And so, you know, you you realize when you really think about all the stuff flying by us, (laughs) and we're this little tiny speck in the universe, the fact that we haven't been hit by some of these things blows our mind. I mean, it's clearly the hand of God that we are protected in Colossians, it says, in him all things consist, hold together. The Bible says that he puts every star in its place and he knows exactly where it's at. And if God just took away his presence for a second, there's probably a million different things that could hit our planet and cause great destruction. But whatever this is, this mountain or this asteroid or whatever it is that hits the planet, it causes, again, great devastation. And then in verse 10 and 11, and a third angel sounded, And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and of the springs of the water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter or poisonous. Jeremiah prophesied of this. In Jeremiah 9.15, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. And then in Jeremiah 23.15, he says the same exact thing, that I'll feed them with with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. So this star coming out, it somehow explodes in such a way that it kicks off atmospheric dust or ash or fumes and it lands in the waters. Now, I was preaching last night and I mentioned, you know, a few years back when Mount St. Helens blew and I had some sort of distorted face. I'm going, well, when was it? We were trying to figure out. May 18th, 1980. Isn't that radical? Almost 25 years ago is when that happened. Does it seem like 25 years ago? All the kids are going, I read about it in a book somewhere. I don't know what's the big deal. Seems like yesterday. But there you have the ash that traveled and, and uh, devastated. There's a gal in our church that was working for uh, NOAA at that time, which studies the uh, oceanic currents and the rivers and so forth. And she says at that time they were documenting uh, rivers up the Cumberland River and so forth that it completely were completely changed, completely deviated. Some of the ash was so thick in some places it slowed down the waterways and uh, it could, the life in certain rivers completely changed. It is interesting, she mentioned, some of the rivers were so uh, filled with the ash that the salmon couldn't go, so they actually went in a different rivers than they've ever been in history, but they found their way to their nesting place nevertheless. God's amazing, isn't he? And those salmon are stubborn. Uh, God made them that way. But again, is it a, a Chernobyl? Is it a nuclear power plant that explodes like it did in the Ukraine in, in April 26, 1986? Uh, some natural disaster God allows to happen and these natural disasters are all around us. And the fact there's not more Chernobyls is a, an amazing thing. But nevertheless, whatever it is, the disaster is the same. And now not just one third of the salt water and all the animals there, but now the fresh water is also destroyed, a third of it. And then in verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded and the third of the sun was struck. 
A third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, likewise the night. And I looked and I heard the angel flying through the midst of the heavens saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the tree of the three angels who are about to sound. So then we have the fourth trumpet and all of a sudden the, the sun and the moon and the stars and there's darkness on a third of the planet. So all of a sudden a third of the planet's in a continual nighttime. A continual Siberian experience where it's continual freezing conditions nonstop. And of course, if that third is in areas of the world where they don't have warm clothes or houses that can uh, handle that kind of uh, freezing temperatures, where we're talking the highs of the days would be 15 degrees and then way below zero uh, on a continual basis. So we're talking basically a third of the planet going into a continual darkness and a freezing conditions. Jesus described it this way in Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will, heavens will be shaken. And so it's like the heavenly hosts are just going on in this incredible turbulence in what's happening. And then it says there was another angel flying to the midst saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now that word angel in the Greek is almost identical to the spelling of the word eagle. And so some of the Bibles translated angel, some translated eagle. Um, It's obviously an angelic being, but remember in Revelation 4, 7, that one of the seraphim was a living creature and it flew like an eagle. It looked like an eagle. For the living creature was like a flying eagle. So even if it looked like a flying eagle, it still could have been an angel because in Revelation 4, 7, that was the description of one of the seraphim. Well, in chapter 9, now we have the fifth trumpet. And this angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And now notice, this isn't an it. It's to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, It's in the past tense first. I saw in the past. In the past, there was this fallen star from heaven. And now it's been given the key to the bottomless pit. We know who that star is, don't we? In Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 15, it says this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, star of the son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will, rise, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will set on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. The disciples came back after going out by twos and said, oh, even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus in Luke ten eighteen said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I got the, high, the best demon story. None of you can top it. So let's stop talking about the demons. And then he goes on to say, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your name is written in the book of life. So this star who had in the past fallen, this person known as Satan, <laughs> Lucifer, the devil, was given now the key to the bottomless pit. Now, I don't understand all of these 
things of how God works. When I read the book of Job, and it says all the angels came before the Lord to give an account, and they also, Lucifer came with them, Satan came with them. And they, him and God had started having this discussion. I don't like that. That seems weird to me. And then he says, oh, Job only serves you because you've made him so healthy and wealthy. And, and then says, well, go ahead. You, can, you have this much permission to attack Job, but no farther than this. And then he goes and attacks Job and comes back. And says, oh, I'll give you a little more permission. Attack him more. And he attacks. I don't like that. But evidently, there's just so much about the spiritual realm that we can't fathom with our limitation of space and time and how things work. But here now, God gives Satan the keys to this pit. Now, as you study it out in the scriptures, you discover, and there's no reason not to believe, it's all in the center of the earth. That we had in the Old Testament, it talks about a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And it had two compartments, one for the righteous called paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. We know from Peter and also Ephesians, it says Jesus went three days and three nights right after he died into the belly of the earth where he preached the gospel to those who were held captive. Also, it's known as the bosom of Abraham. Now, there's another side called Hades. And there... Jesus tells another parable, not, excuse me, not a parable, a story about Lazarus. When he tells a parable, he didn't mention names like that. And then this other rich guy, and, and this rich guy was in Hades, and he was looking at Abraham, and he said, Father Abraham, I know that guy, Lazarus. Would you let him dip his finger in some water and put it upon my tongue for this place I'm at is torment? And Abraham said, no, there's a chasm between us. It can't be crossed. So it's a unique concept. But the Bible says that when Christ raised from the dead, that he set captivity free, that all those who believed upon him emptied that place of paradise, the bosom of Abraham. And now it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We're going to get to the end of Revelation. It says God took Hades, which we know about, and he cast it into Gehenna, or the lake of fire, after he judged those in it. We also have a description of another place called the Abuso, and another place in the scripture called Tartarus. We have in Luke chapter 8, remember Jesus comes across to Gesineret, and there's this guy that they can't tame, and he has all kinds of chains, and he breaks the chains, and Jesus comes, this guy runs to him, and he, Jesus had been casting the demon out, but it didn't come out. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons have entered us. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. So cast us out, but don't put us under lock and key. Don't put us, don't lock us up where we can't get out. We don't want that. And there were some pigs, which were not kosher. The Jews shouldn't have had them. He cast the demons into the pigs, and they went crazy. Another place Jesus tells us about demons, it says when they leave, they're unpossessing a man, that they go into the wet places and the dry places, and they have no rest, and they can find no home. And so they'll go back to that original place they had possessed and see if they can break in, go get seven demons more worse than himself and re-enter that man. And so here these demons say, please don't lock us up in the abyss. We don't want that. And Jesus says, okay, uh, you haven't crossed that kind of line. But however, there are demons that have crossed lines. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says this, 
For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them to hell, that's the word Tartarus here, cast them into Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And also in Jude, verse 6, it says, The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness of judgment for the great day. Now, most believe that these angels he's referring to is going back to Genesis chapter 6. There's a wild and crazy story in there where it says the sons of God, which is a term for angels, had relations with the daughters of men. So these fallen angels, some believe, there's a debate about it, believe that these angels had relations with women and actually had kids that were half human and half demonic angels, half fallen creatures. And it says they were the Nephilim. They were giants. They began to permeate the earth. And right after that, God destroyed the earth with the flood. But these guys crossed the line and God locked them up. Said, you're not going to have any more freedom. And he locked them up there in Tartarus, there in the Abuso, into the abyss. And uh, again, there's a lot of discussion on that and I'm not going to go into that anymore. But here now, Satan has been given the key. And I don't like that either. No keys for the devil. Um, But nevertheless, God is giving him this permission to go release some of these previously locked up demons to come back on the planet as they once were. Now take a look at these these creatures in verse 2. Chapter 9, verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So the whole earth became like Los Angeles. <laughs> Horrible. I just can't imagine this. And then, the, then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Now before you get this little thought of this little grasshopper in your brain, hang on. To them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth or the green things or any trees, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their heads. Remember, back chapter 7 we just covered, they had the seal upon their head. Uh, Ezekiel talks about it as the tau, which is the, the T-shape, the cross shape uh, in the Hebrew, Hebrew letter, put upon the forehead. And these beast, these creatures, these monsters couldn't affect them. But they were not given authority to kill them, the men that they could sting, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. So after these creatures sting them, Their whole bodies in this incredible pain. They want to just die. There's no answer. There's no solution. There's no uh, moment where their body is not in this incredible pain. So they get a knife and they try to stab themselves. They get a gun and blow half their head off and they're still alive. Death takes a holiday. God will not allow them to die. Their spirit is still with their body and they're fully conscious of what is going on. And no matter what they do, they cannot die. For five months, this horrific thing goes on. Now, look at the description of these creatures in more detail in verse 7. 
Now, the shape of these locusts was like horses prepared for battle. So these things are huge. And their heads were like crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. Ah! Oh, no, that's not supposed to be scary. And, uh, and their hair was like women's hair. They were hippie locusts. <laughs> and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And their tails like scorpions. And there they were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men for five months. So typically locusts go after the trees and the vegetation. Stay away from all of that. Your focus is men. And these demonic creatures, right out of a horror movie... They come. You know what's interesting about this description? With the wings, their face like a man, their teeth like a lion. You know what it sounds to me like? The description earlier we had of the seraphim and the, seraph- and the cherubim. But this is a mutant form of them <laughs> after being in the abuso. I wonder if these were not some of the archangels that Satan took with him when he took a third of the stars with him. That these were not at one time the most beautiful creatures who were in charge of heaven, Satan being the top angel and these guys under him. And they had great power and great authority, but now after living in the abyss for these millennium, they come out as this distorted evil view as the evil wickedness of their heart has now come upon their very features. And they come out of this abyss. And you can imagine you're fleeing the whole planet for five months. is just running from these horrific creatures. They're, they're, they're invincible. Their chest is like iron. You can't blow them up or shoot them down. And you could just imagine you're hiding out in a cave with a group of people. And all of a sudden, the noise, and all of a sudden, coming through the earth is this uh, scorpion tail, you know. Some horror movie. And all of a sudden it stings right through some guy and he's like, ah, I'm on fire. My whole body is in agony. You just have to watch him there in this tremendous pain as you're trying to dig farther back into some cave. It would just, it would be literally a nightmare to be on the planet during this horrific time. And for five months it goes on and on. These creatures are given the power to torment man And man without, and it goes on, I think it goes on the rest of the tribulation period, but for five months, men can't die. They just have to feel the pain of what they're going through. And then verse 11, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and the Greek, its name Apollyon, and both of these names referring to destruction and torment. Now in verse 12, One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So your mind is just going, how can things get worse? This has to be the end of everything. Because it's just unbelievable to imagine any kind of life on earth after this. And God says, it's only getting started. I've just told you one woe. (laughs) I haven't even got to two-thirds of the woes yet. 
in this particular section of the trumpets. And so now the sixth trumpet comes, and they heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. So a voice comes from the altar there, and it says to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Euphrates River. Guys, we're familiar with that as of late, aren't we? That's the country of Iraq, guys. Ancient site of Babylon, ancient site of Assyria. Also, if you look at the description in Genesis 1 where the Garden of Eden was, it was between the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, which are both there in Iraq. So it's very possible it's in that area where the Garden of Eden once laid, the first sin committed, the first murder committed, where the first rebellion of man was committed, where the Tower of Babel was there, where you had the first dictator, where you had the first confederation of war that came together. Coming back to that bed. Now, as you look at end times, there's three places that are key locations that are mentioned over and over again. The number one is Israel. Israel was a nation. Jerusalem was a capital. And you say, of course it is. But guys, you've got to realize in 1948, if you go back to 1947 or 40, and you say Israel's going to become a nation and one day Jerusalem's going to be their capital, could you imagine trying to think how could that be possible? On a world scene, that would cause such an uproar. Don't you know it's one of the most holy sites of the the Muslims is there? And and many countries have state claim there. And to imagine Israel becoming a nation after not being a nation for 2,000 years, how can such a thing be? But if you were a student of the word, you'd say, I know it's impossible, but it's going to happen. Now here we are after the fact. Since 1948, guys, a little over 50 years, that's it. That such a thing has existed on the planet when almost 2,000 years before that, Israel had not had a nation, but were Jews keeping their identity amazing throughout all the various countries they were gone into. And now before our eyes, guys, before our eyes, Israel, again, is a nation. The other thing we'd be looking for is out of Daniel, the rebirth of the Roman Empire, which is in the area of Europe today. And we now have seen the... European Union come together and they have one monetary system. I have somewhere in my notes the very first article that came out when they were discussing it uh, over 20 years ago now. And it said the idea of Europe having a one money system is impossible. They're all too individualistic and they would not give up their identity and their money. And then the guy goes on to say, unless they could all identify in one person. It was mind-boggling. This guy was just like, I can't believe what this guy is saying. Because the Bible says out of that European Union, that Roman, revived Roman Empire, that's going to end up into ten nations. And three of them are going to be taken out by the Antichrist. He's going to be the leader of one. And then he's going to raise back up as the world leader. And then the third place that we're going to see when we get to Revelation here, but all through the Old Testament as well, is Babylon. The rebirth of of the city of Babylon. It's going to become the economic hub of the world. And it's going to become 
the religious hub of the world. And it's interesting now, if you turn on the news and your half an hour news, 16 minutes of, of actual news, Israel will be mentioned. The European common market will be mentioned. What's going on in Iraq will be mentioned. When there's all kinds of other countries in the world that are bigger and, and more powerful and more significant, they get no notoriety whatsoever. But yet, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Europe? And let me tell you, we're contending right now against the European Union. The euro dollar is plummeting the American dollar, guys. I don't know if you know, but it's smashing it right now. Uh, even less than a, a year ago, I was over in London at the, the airport there, and I was looking around at stuff, and our dollar was twice as strong as the British pound and as the euro dollar. A lot, ten times stronger than that. And, it, you know, you look around, it's, and it's, it's, everything's cheap to us as Americans. Well, I just went over again uh, a few months ago, and it would be like somebody from Mexico coming to America. <laughs> That's what the dollar was worth. Something that I could have bought for 15, 20 bucks. The same shirt a year later would be the equivalent of 100 to $150 to me. There's no way. You can't, already, you can't even afford to buy a Coke there anymore as Americans. And you go into Europe and it's the same thing. You need to pray for our missionaries throughout Europe because it's definitely affecting them. And uh, so we're looking right now at this rebirth of the Babylonian Empire. And when it's rebuilt, it's going to have oceans coming right to it. So the city of Babylon was never that extensive in past history. It's going to be huge. And we're going to be getting to that. And so right now, from the Euphrates comes up these four creatures, from this, the bed of civilization, the bed of evil also. And notice what happens with them. There's a number of the army of the horsemen in verse 16 who had 200 million. Now, as we go on to look at this description, it is not men, but it's demonic creatures. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. And those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red and hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. Not like any horse I've ever seen. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Now we saw earlier a fourth of mankind was killed back in chapter 6. And now another third of mankind is killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths and their power in their mouth and their tails, for their tails were like serpents, like heads, and, they, and with them they do harm. So out of this fiery breath of these things causes a plague upon the planet. And from this plague, a third of the people that are left die. And in verse 20 and 21, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons or idols or gold or silver or brass or stone or wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21, They did not repent of the murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. This blows my mind. Here are these guys, they're seeing all heaven break loose. They're seeing hell open up. They are seeing blatant spiritual creatures. Truly, like in a horror movie, truly like in a nightmare that they can't wake up out of. 
I would think just the sight of one of those locust-looking creatures would make any one of us fall to our knees and say, God, forgive me, save me, help me. But these men's heart are just as hard. Even though they're on a planet where people are dying off and plagues and disasters beyond belief, hunger and thirst, freezing conditions, boiling temperatures, all kinds of horrendous demonic creatures by the hundreds of millions covering the planet, they're still, forget you, God. Boy, when the Lord said in John 6, no man can come to me unless the Father calls him. (laughs) Unless the Father draws him. Boy, how true it is. In John 1, he says, it's not by the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but it's of the will of God that men are saved. How true that is. You know, it truly blows my mind. When I think back in Exodus, when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, and here Moses comes down and all these radical miracles in front of their eyes, even Pharaoh's sorcerers say, whoo, This is more power than we've ever seen. This truly is the finger of God. You might rethink this, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh just hardens his heart more and more. And even after the firstborn of all the nation is killed, he just sends the armies after him. And God, after a whole year's worth of plagues, opens up the Red Sea. The children of Israel go across on dry ground. The Egyptian army in their madness just storms in to this miraculous thing. And all of a sudden the waters close in and crush the mightiest army in the world, crush them in an instant there in the Red Sea. Boy, the praise in the Lord. Woohoo, God saved us. Three days later, the children of Israel come to the first watering hole, Meribah, and there's poison. It's poison. You know what their first reaction was? We should have stayed in Egypt. God brought us out here to cause us all to die of thirst. And oh, we should have stayed in They had no faith in their heart. God, after that, brought manna every day out of heaven. The Bible said it was the food of angels. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Water out of a rock. For 40 years, they were fed literally by the hand of God. They saw the presence of God. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And it says in Hebrews, (laughs) and they died in the wilderness in unbelief. All the miracles in the world that go in your eyes and into your brain will not cause a faith in the heart. It's only as we come with a godly sorrow and broken over our sin. These men, in the most difficult time this planet has ever seen, their body in the most incredible physical torment it can imagine, it was cursing, not repenting. And what are the issues? The issues are saying, hey, back before the rapture of the church, back before the tribulation period, there were some issues going on that you've never repented of, and it's the same old, same old issues. There's sorcery going on. There may be some of you here today that are playing around with the horoscopes or reading the different uh, charts or the stars or Ouija boards or palm reading and you're thinking, oh, this is cute and oh, I know 
a lot of Christians, you know, but it's just fun. I just play around with it. I don't really believe it. I just read it. Guys, you are messing around with Satan. You are worshiping him by looking into his Bibles, into his way of communicating. It's foolish at the least, but it's definitely demonic and sinful. There's some of you here that are murdering. You say, well, I'm not physically killing anybody. Jesus said, you know, I'm not judging on the outward level only. But he said in Matthew 5, I'm judging the heart. And if in your heart you say, you idiot, you have just crossed the line that could bring you into judgment. Or if you said in your heart, you fool, that's enough to bring you into damnation. And then he says sexual immorality. They wouldn't repent of that. Again, well, I've not actually committed adultery. Jesus said, I'm looking on the heart. If you lust at a woman in your heart, there's some of you saying, oh, it's a little few minutes on the internet. It's just a couple minutes on TV. It's just a magazine. It's no big deal. It's this thing happening in my mind. Guys, it's putrid in the eyes of God. I understand in in this wicked generation we live in, Even wicked people look righteous. (laughs) I understand that. Even an incredibly sinful man in Sodom and Gomorrah would look like a saint. But God is not judging on the curve. God is judging from a righteous judgment that does not change no matter how wicked the generation is. And I don't care if everybody else is doing it. God will just say what he said to Noah. Get on the boat and everybody else will die. But... The fact of the matter is, is God is not going to bend just because the majority of the people are in such a wickedness. And we need to come to hate what God hates to the degree he hates it. And to come to love what God loves to the degree he loves it. And then they also wouldn't repent of their stealing. How many people justify ripping off their bosses? Guy who works down at the grocery store, well, he should have gave me a raise, so I'll just take this box of this home and a case of that home and... Oh, my boss didn't give me the time off I deserve, so I'll just take longer breaks and tell him I'm going on an errand for the work when I'm really going home, spending the rest of the day at at home. You're stealing. Some from your own parents, your own kids, your own neighbors. You need to see it for what it is and repent. The Bible said if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. But if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin. You know the other thing we see here? What it says in Romans 2, it's the loving kindness and tender mercies of God that lead us to repentance. Sometimes to repent, it's a leading process. It's God slowly showing us how wicked our wickedness really is. It's God showing us how sinful our sin really is. But it's by us following him and coming closer to him. And it's realizing how much he's done. How much he's loved us. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loved us so much that he laid his life down willingly, taking all our sins upon his own body. Tormented, pierced, beaten, crucified, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The rejection of an eternal damnation we should have experienced, he experienced that rejection from the Father. But he paid for our sins, guys, so we don't have to. He was judged for our sins, so we don't have to be. God loves you today. He doesn't have one bad thought about any of you. 
His thoughts of you are good and not evil to give you a hope and a future. But as we go through the fiery fire of this book of Revelation, it's God, no doubt, telling some, you are the person I was talking about when I said many will come in that day, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto me. And I'll say, no, you're a doer of iniquity. But I listened to you in the marketplace. I ate with you. I, you know what? You've not submitted your life to a holy life before me. You live the way you wanted and sin. And I'm telling you, you need to repent. And don't wait till the tribulation period to do it, guys. God's saying, do it now. He wants to save you from the wrath to come. As all the prophets of old screamed out, repent and spare yourself from the wrath to come. God is saying, guys, the wrath is beyond belief. And death will not be an out. (laughs) For a season of this time, as much as you would want that cowardice escape, that cowardice escape will not be given to you. And it blows my mind here that these people are in such grief and won't repent. You know what's in your heart. God knows what's in your heart. I remember hearing a testimony of a guy who was on a plane that crashed. And he, at the time, he wasn't walking with the Lord the way he should. He was a businessman, and I think it was somewhere over in South America. But he said it was an amazing thing as the plane was breaking apart that his brain just shut off and he just started screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Jesus, forgive me, save me, forgive me. Say just nonstop, Jesus, Jesus, forgive me, save me, help me. Screaming out. But he said what was an amazing thing is that the majority of the flood of what he heard was nonstop, the most vile cursing you could imagine. Old people, kids, and everything in between, cursing. They couldn't stop it. Later, the black box was discovered from that plane wreck. And he said when they listened to it, the pilots were just, it was like they couldn't get out enough cursing before they crashed. And he discovered that when you're in a moment of complete horrific experience, your brain just sort of shuts off and you're not silent, but your mouth opens up and you begin to spew from what's ever in your heart. And it's amazing that these men, even though they clearly see the hand of God, even though as many, sometimes they see the powers of Satan and they run hiding under the wings of God Almighty, saying if there's a supernatural Satan, even though I haven't seen the supernatural of God, I know it exists because I've seen the supernatural of Satan. But not these guys. They get more entrenched like Pharaoh, even though they see the clear hand of the supernatural their heart clings to say, no, it's not stealing. No, it's not sorcery. I don't care if God says he's going to judge my heart. It's not murder. I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's just all agree to be tolerant, accept one another as we are. You know what? It's a bunch of bularky. You're not okay. I'm not okay. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. And there's only one way unto the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And Second Peter It says in verse 3, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, 
What manner of persons ought you to be right now in holy conduct and godliness? Peter said, looking and knowing the incredible destruction that's come. What's that say to you Christians right now? It should speak to you, Peter says. Right now, I want to live in a holy and an honorable and a godly way. And so let the fire burn. Let God's coal from the fire come right now today. And let it touch your lips as it did Isaiah's. Let it burn right to the very core of your being and be open and say, God, burn me through and through. Burn out all the trash. Get rid of all the poison. God, forgive me for loving that which you hate. Rearrange my thinking. Reconnect my brain the way it's supposed to be. Reconnect my emotions the way it's supposed to be. Heal me, God. I want to be healed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word right now. And it's just a radical scene. We thank you for the special blessing there is in going to this book. We sense it. We know it's there by faith. But on top of that, Lord, we know that there's a work of your spirit that you're doing today. That there's some here today that are not right with you. There's some today that are, you've brought here by your love, by your grace. Your loving kindness and tender mercies been leading them. And it's led them to this day and hour not to let them know that they're evil but to let them know how good you are. To give them that hope and that future with a repentive heart. And if that's you right now, just repent. Fall upon the rock and be broken. You don't need to wait for the rock to fall upon you and crush you to powder. Just confess, God, it's sin. God, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to be like Zacchaeus and I'm going to go and make things right of what I've stolen. I'm going to go and repent to that person of the evil that I've done. Lord, I come and I submit myself anew and afresh under your mighty hand. Cleanse me, Lord. By the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse me. Forgive me of all my sin. Take right now the throne of my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, I see what you're saying here. And I'm fleeing from the wrath to come. And I'm running under the shadow of your wings, O God. Cradle me, Lord, as a hen gathers its chicks and under its wings, Lord, gather me today, Lord, I come. I lay my life at your feet. Take me, Lord. Make me what you want me to be. I give my whole self to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, bless all those who prayed that prayer today in truth. Cleanse their heart. Let that which comes out of their mouth now be blessings and love and goodness, things of the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, even though we fall seven times, we can get up seven times because your grace makes it possible. Where our sin abounds, your grace much more abounds, and we come to that throne of grace and we receive it today. Lord, just let this word continue to soak in our hearts and our minds throughout this day and this week. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen.